The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Alex Ewell, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for our latest update on tech stocks, which has suddenly become a story dominated by all things artificial intelligence. There's lots to discuss, so I'm glad to be joined today once again by my colleague, Eric Savitz, Barron's Associate Editor who covers tech for us from Silicon Valley. Eric, it's actually been a while since you and I uh, have done one of these calls together, and in our time off, it seems like so much has changed in the world of tech. For one thing, big tech stocks are on fire again. It's kind of like 2021 all over again. Um, just put together some stats, and then we can we can get to them. Um, but the Nasdaq Composite is up 24% in 2023. The S&P 500 is up 9%. Most of that gain is being driven by a few large stocks. Um, Probably a lot of our listeners know those well by now, but NVIDIA is up 159% this year. Meta is up 120%, AMD 83%, uh, and Salesforce 68%. I think we'll probably talk about all of those in the next few minutes. Um, you know, the mega caps, the other mega caps, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Alphabet, they're all up more like 40%, um, although they're actually probably more responsible for the overall gains just because right. they're so big. So... Eric, let's, let, again, great to have you, but let's start with this overall question, uh, which is how much of this year's gains would you attribute entirely to AI? Well, look, uh, uh, and thanks, Alex. Uh, it's um, it's certainly part of the picture, but it is hardly the only uh, thing. So I, let me rattle off a few. Um, one is, you know, if you think about last year's sell-off and what drove the sell-off, um, a lot of it was driven by the Fed's aggressive move to raise interest rates. Tech stocks tend to underperform as rates rise because it's sort of, uh, in particular, companies with um, that aren't making money now but are growing sales uh, fast, and it t- they tend to get devalued. Um, and so it feels like the Fed's almost done. I mean, we don't know exactly whether they're going to raise another quarter point at the next meeting is a topic of debate. But from, for, from the larger standpoint, it feels like the Fed is almost done. So that's one element. Second is like there's a lot of bargain hunting because a lot of these stocks, including some of the ones that you mentioned, really got slaughtered last year. So there's like some rebound effect going on there as well. I mean, I, I think the, you know, another factor is AI. I mean, I think it's true that People are scrambling to find ways to play this trend. Um, Nvidia is the most obvious example of this, where you know their their stock uh, you know hit a trillion dollar market cap this week. That's the only time a chip stock has ever been worth that much by like a wide margin. It's yeah. you know one of like five stocks worth a trillion dollars. And then you know you see that this is also a factor for uh, some stocks like Microsoft and for Alphabet and a few others that have big plays on, um, on AI. Now, there, there is another thing that's going on, which uh, I, I, I will use uh, Mark Zuckerberg's language, the year of efficiency, right? So that's a nice way of saying companies are more focused right now on improving profitability, raising margins, 
because there's not much growth in many of these areas. And there's a good example of that last night. We saw Salesforce reported earnings and, you know, Mark Benioff early in their uh, post earnings call said something along the lines of, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to try and uh, we're going to focus on the things that we can, uh, we can control, not the things that we can't control. And that means focusing on improving margins. And they actually had quite a big improvement in their operating margins. The problem is it um, is that the, is there's not much growth. So, you know, Apple's less, Apple is not really growing. Meta is not really growing. Um, so there's a reason that people are focused on margins instead. And Meta is a great example. I mean, Meta has laid off more than 20,000 people. Uh, they're, they've kind of refocused the company some, uh, kind of away from the metaverse, although they don't really say it that way. They're all focused on, they of course are also focused on AI. Um, and so, you know, so you got a couple, a bunch of things, focus on efficiency, yeah. better outlook on interest rates, and then this special ingredient with this AI uh, mania that continues to unfold. Okay, so I want to use Salesforce maybe as a way to, to get more at the AI mania, because I think really interestingly, you know, you're right that there's been among so much of, of the tech companies that focus on efficiency and margins and profitability, given the lack of other of growth. And for a while, it seemed that that message was really resonating with investors and, and you would see stocks respond very positively to talk of efficiencies and increased uh, focus on profitability. Right. I, I think it's interesting if we look today at how the market is responding though. So you have these comments from Benioff and Salesforce, as you mentioned last night, Salesforce on an otherwise really good day for the NASDAQ, which is up 1% today is down 5%. And I right. wonder, I, I'm wondering if, that tells us something about kind of this, have we reached the pivot point? The efficiencies have been used up and all investors want to hear about now is growth again, mostly through AI, which, you know, in, in during this past earnings season, if you even just mentioned AI, um, <laughs> your stock soared. So do you think, is this significant that Salesforce is down 5% today? Um, and what does that tell us about kind of, maybe a shifting focus from efficiency back toward innovation in, in the form of AI? Well, I think there's a few things at play in, in, in the Salesforce number. So um, I think the biggest problem was that they, while they posted a better than expected quarter, they did not raise their full year guidance. Well, what does that tell you? Well, it implies that the out quarters are not going to be as good as maybe people expect, right? So uh -huh. people did not like that. Um, Mark talked extensively about their AI um, uh, offerings and they have this platform called Einstein and they're, you know, they basically, Mark kind of said they've like remade the company to focus on AI and all this stuff. But okay. what, what's interesting is if you ask them about, well, how is this going to play out in terms of monetization? Like, how are you going to charge for this? And, uh, you know, I talked to the CFO of Salesforce, Amy Weaver yesterday, and she basically said they haven't quite figured out the monetization strategy and not quite ready to talk about it yet. And so, so people have, you know, you have to remember, it's just super early in this AI phenomenon. As, yeah. as one person said to me, you know, this is the bottom, this is the top of the first inning, it's the first batter. And even that might be an exaggeration. I mean, it's other than for NVIDIA and a couple of other small examples, uh, it's it's just a ways out. I mean, I, I like, I think, not to get off track here, but I wanted to mention this, as, as you and I had talked about earlier, Microsoft, when they reported their last quarter, said that AI was going to boost Azure revenue in the June quarter by like 1%. Well, that's nice, but like you, you, you do the math, it's not very hard math. And 
it kind of doesn't really matter to Microsoft's earnings yet, despite everything they're talking about here. It's just going to take time. Like it, it's early, and yeah. so in the case of uh, of of um, of Salesforce, they're talking a lot about AI, but they're not growing. The t- it's not helping them at the top line yet, and uh, people don't like the numbers. I think you're now remember AI. I, I think oh, I'm sorry, not AI. Salesforce. If you go back to their last quarter, their January quarter earnings, the stock jumped on those numbers because they kind of announced their big stock repurchase plan, and they uh, they had announced some layoffs earlier, and they were uh, they they disbanded a, a committee to do acquisitions and created one to focus on strategic opportunities, whatever that means. And so like they had their year of efficiency moment. Um, yeah. Last quarter, Mark kept talking about hitting, uh, what do you say, hitting, you think about the, the hyperdrive and stuff, like moving into hyperdrive. Well, they don't look like they're moving into hyperdrive. I mean, their they're, they're earnings forecast for the year is for about 10% growth. Okay. Um, that's a lot less than it used to be for Salesforce. So Got it. it's just a lot of moving parts here. Yeah. All right. So let's talk... Um... I, I think just because the focus, there's so much interest in AI right now. Uh, you mentioned the top of the first inning maybe being where we're at. So it's kind of impossible not to think back, at least for those of us who kind of live through it. It's kind of, it's impossible not to think back to say 1995, the early days of the internet um, and how that played out in, in, in the, in the world and in the stock market over the next five years. So what, you know, you, you covered that time, I, I, I think, I did. Yes. what would you look back to what historical lessons are there? You know, it, when I think about the internet and online shopping and, the, and, and what came, what was coming out, um, in 1995, it was a lot easier to understand if you were a consumer about what you were going to get from the internet and, and that those hope for those hope for, uh, technologies. I, I'm not sure AI is as clear yet. As much as we talk about the the, op- the opportunities and and the, and the fear of AI, I'm not sure it's as clear what the revenue opportunities are as it was early in the internet days. So, how would you compare them? I mean, what lessons should we be applying? Sure. And, and are we in a bubble? I guess is the next question. Yeah. So this is it's a complicated uh, scenario, and the parallels are not perfect, right? So, for one thing. Um, one of the things that was characteristic of the internet uh, bubble was a wave of IPOs of very small companies that even if there was an IPO market now would not be able to go public in this kind of, uh, in, in sort of the new world that we're in. We've learned some lessons about buying very early stage companies. Um, so that's a little bit different. So it's yeah, yeah. probably but only with existing companies. Right? We haven't had a single IPO since ChatGPT emerged in November and set the whole market on fire, right? I mean, yeah. that's, so that's... there's no, there's currently no IPO market. So, yeah. okay. so that's one big difference. I think another uh, interesting question is what's the right comparison, right? People are trying to, people are always reaching for comps. It's like a common, you know, strategy on, uh, on Wall Street. Well, how does this look like something else? Um, it, it looks a little bit like that in that, um, everyone's business was going to be changed by the internet, but we didn't really know how exactly, you know, how was it going to change the business for, um, you, you know, I don't know, uh, like we weren't imagining Uber like in, in 1995, right? So like there were a lot of businesses got created later that like a lot of the early ones didn't work, you know, rest in peace, pets.com, for example. Um, yeah. So there's like, so well, and, and by the way, the interesting thing about that is like pets.com set the stage for Chewy, which reported earnings yesterday that were pretty good. Oh, so, really good. Like right. So, so there's, there's still, even there, like 
a lot of it is still evolving, right? We're and just to build on it, Eric, I, I think that's a really important point. So in 1995, we think back to Amazon.com, which of course became an e-commerce leader, but Amazon's not even trading on e-commerce anymore. It's trading on this thing called the cloud, which no one had any expectation of in 1995. So. Right. And not only that, but Amazon had a period when they, you know, they, like they survived the, the bubble, but they went down like, I don't know, 90 something percent before they recovered. So, you know, there's a lot of risk in any new phenomenon when we don't entirely know what's going to happen. I, I think there's also another thing that I always think about, which is I think there's really two way, two parts to the AI story to oversimplify. One is like the public facing the consumer experiences. So, you know, chat GPT and Bard and Bing and uh, some of the things that Adobe is doing and things like that. Um, you know, the, I can make a, speak some, you know, type in a few words and generate an image, all that kind of stuff, uh, chatting with the chatbots. But then I think there's this whole other area that you don't really see as much, which is AI as, AI as an ingredient brand or, brand or an ingredient for uh, enterprise software companies, for other kinds of large uh, businesses uh, that are in using AI techniques, but it's not about like chatbots, right? So you know, think about things like drug discovery and, and chemical uh, research and other things where it's uh, speeding up your ability to find answers for things uh, that are not so visible. And so I, I think that might end up being a bigger opportunity than the public market, like just chatbot thing. It's too early to tell. Uh, but but I, I think, um, you know, you think about some of what uh, some of like, so even ChatGPT, like, you know, you, you can use ChatGPT, but they also have like a plugin. So you can take the the model, plug it in to, uh, you know, some whatever internal application you're running, add your own data and use it in ways that like we don't really see. So it's complicated. So is there a bubble? Um, I mean, it feels kind of bubbly. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the most obvious example here is NVIDIA. And like, there's no question. NVIDIA is the most clear cut winner, right? They're They've, they make, the, they are like the only provider of chips uh, that run large language models. It's not, there's a couple of other players, AMD does some things and there's a few others, but they're, they totally uh, own that market. And so, and they, you know, they had, they reported earnings, they had like astonishingly good guidance and, you know, are now trading at like a, Let's see, current market cap is, I don't know, close to a trillion if they're not there. I mean, they dropped maybe a little bit, um, but like that's like 20 times forward sales uh, if the estimates are right. And that's just an evaluation level that is rarely, rarely sustainable. So would I bet against them? Not for the long run. Is this the best place to get into NVIDIA shares at this price? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think I would wait. At some point, there'll be some doubt about something. Right. And we should get a better entry point. I mean, the stock is up, you know, 170% this year. Right, right. Um, amazing. I think it's $930 billion market cap, something like that. Yeah. No, I think that's probably, uh, that, that makes sense. Um, all right. So let's, um, I actually want to get to some questions early and then we'll, um, because sure. you got a ton of them uh, today. And, uh, and and also folks should, um, should feel free to uh ask questions as we go too, but um, so let's, let's go to them. And, and you're sort of talking, one of them will build on this idea that there's some parts of, of AI that were not really seen publicly yet that could make right. the biggest difference. And so one of, um, one of the questions uh, from Julian fits that well, he asked, you know, what are some stocks that are undervalued that have growth potential? I'm going to add on to that and say, so are there 
at this point, Eric, are there undervalued, underappreciated AI plays uh, out there? We talked about NVIDIA, and that's sort of a very much uh, appreciated. Yeah, that's like the obvious one. What I mean, the, uh, what are the underappreciated ones? You've, you have written a little bit about this uh, recently. Yeah, I wrote a, um, a tech trader column that was based actually on a Barron's live interview uh, with a portfolio manager from Goldman Sachs, um, who basically said, hey, there's lots of ways to play this. Um, like one is, as he described it, like a picks and shovels play, right? So um, like who is making, uh, you know, the parts that, that allow you to do these models? And like, while NVIDIA is the most obvious answer, it's not the only one. And as it happens, one of his picks was Marvell, uh, which, which turned out to be a fantastic short run pick because Marvell, Marvell stock dumped, jumped like 20% after they announced um, uh, earnings, largely because they made some very positive comments about demands for their chips, which are used in uh, data center networking. Uh, and you know, data center networking is like a key piece of what you need to do to run these large language models. Just to be clear, by the way, like when you run a large language model, it's not like you have one like NVIDIA chip, like you're using like hundreds of them, yeah. right? It's, these, are, these are very complicated kind of, pieces of uh, computing, which, you know, you, it can take you literally weeks or months to run a large language model. They're, they're vast, vast data sets that these people are creating. So, yeah, so that would be like one example of like thinking outside the box. I mean, he has an, a few other ideas, like he talked about TSMC, which is, you know, Taiwan Semiconductor, the largest uh, company in the world uh, that does contract chip manufacturing and happens to kind of corner the market in very high-end uh, chip manufacturing, and uh, they are a clear benefit, and they make chips for 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 Nvidia. So, like, um, and then you get a little further down the food chain. So, um, what about like companies that do design of chips? Going to need a whole new set of chips to you know continue this uh, revolution. So he likes you know companies like uh, Cadence Design Systems. Say, um, and then you know then you start looking further down at other ways to play. Like, what about security? Like. Um, you know, um, he, you know, as he put it, I think, um, you know, this, this, this creates all kinds of opportunities for mayhem. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Right. And so, well, that's really a big benefit for, um, for security software companies. You know, he, he called out Palo Alto Networks and Zscaler. I mean, I think, but I think there's probably others. And I, I think that the, the opportunity there is that these companies, um, uh, they aren't just dependent on AI. They already have well-established businesses and they just get another kind of opportunity. It looks up, it opens up a new front. And then the really tricky part is like, well, who's going to benefit from uh, from using uh, AI in their businesses? Now, to come back to this again, it's really early, so we don't entirely know. I mean, there's some, there are a few early examples. The one I always like to use, I've talked about this a few times before, is Duolingo the language learning app, which introduced a uh, kind of a premium version of the service that includes uh, uh, AI chats with a chatbot. Uh, I've been using it to try and relearn French, which I haven't taken in a few decades and I had largely forgotten. And it's kind of cool to be able to have this kind of chat with a chatbot. I think it was an early language learner. Like now Duolingo yeah. shares are actually up like about 100% this year or something like that. And that might be, am I wrong? That might be like one of the first or most obvious direct to consumer um, applications where there's actually a payment model attached to a new AI uh, process, right? It's not just beta. I mean, they're actually charging people. Oh, no, they're actually, yeah, they've actually rolled this out. Um, so that's like interesting. Around yeah. twice as much as the regular subscription, like, you know, if you want to get rid of ads, you can use the link for free if you like. Uh, 
that's kind of a freemium model. You can just have to suffer through a bunch of ads. But it is interesting because, it, as you say, there aren't too many examples of this yet. Now, I think if you think about a company like Meta is interesting, like Meta, Meta gets a little less attention uh, than Amazon or, um, or Alphabet uh, as an AI uh, software developer, but they're spending a lot of money. They have thousands of people working on this. And they had, they had a model that either was, I think it was kind of leaked, that's become like an open source model that a lot of people are using. Um, but I think the, the interesting thing for Meta is they're going to try and make their advertising more uh, efficient uh, by using AI techniques to sort of figure out what you might want to see. Now, that's like a, it's kind of a route around of the old Apple uh, privacy issue that they suffered, which made it harder for them to target their advertising. So if that works, now that's not, that's not like something you would say, oh, I'm going to pay more for that. But it does mean... Uh, potentially uh, a big revenue uh, change for Meta if it plays out that way. So, Got it. Got uh, it. so you know, there are other. It, so sometimes it's not as obvious. By the way, the, the most ex there's also a nice, nice example of a company that's really had their business hurt, um, which is Chegg, which announced you know they they provide like homework help kind of yeah. services for education. Uh, they reported, reported earnings a couple of weeks ago and basically said their their earning their their business has been really hurt by ChatGPT. That like yeah. people instead of paying for homework help are just asking the questions to a chatbot and getting and, reasonable answers. And I think Chegg wins the prize for the first uh, for the first business to see its stock fall 50% on AI. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a dubious prize. Yeah. But, All right, and I would just throw out one other, by the way, for, uh, for, our, um, for our listeners who, who didn't see it. Uh, our colleague, Take Him, yesterday wrote, um, I would say a cautiously bullish take on Intel and, you know, Intel famously at this point has had huge struggles uh, advancing its chip making abilities and, and, and improving its chips. But he actually, it, he almost pointed out how it's kind of a winner from NVIDIA perhaps over the long run because uh, Intel is finally trying to make this new business of producing manufacturing chips in the US, right? Becoming like the Taiwan yeah. of the US. And, and this week NVIDIA had some somewhat positive things to say about, about working with Intel and the chips that it's tested through Intel's new foundries. And, and right. so Tay argued that, you know, maybe this is finally what saves Intel. So, so that'll be interesting to watch. As, as yeah. Well. I think, you know, so this is tied into the Chips Act. I think yeah. the, the one cautionary uh, comment I would make about this is, um, so, you know, Intel, as we, was, as, as, as we know, is like building, you know, big new fabs in both Arizona and Ohio, I think also someplace in Europe. And spending like a hundred billion dollars to build these new fabs, yeah. But it's gonna be a few years before these fabs are done, right? Um, so in the long run, yes. I mean, I, Nvidia has said before, like they would they would be happy to use um, Intel's fabs. I mean, obviously they need to be like effective and you know uh, be as uh, as good as the TSMC fabs. But uh, that's a long term play. And by the way, here's another thing I would add: is like if you like that long term play, uh, it feels like well, maybe you should think about buying some semiconductor equipment stocks because if a lot of that $100 billion that they're going to spend is going to be on equipment from companies like yeah, materials and uh, and so on. So yeah. um, so that's another indirect play, but you have to be a little more patient. Like you're not going to get a 30% one-day spike on applied materials uh, based on, you know, exactly. on and um, uh, I will just, uh, I won't, I don't want to give away too much, but I know you are actually working on another story as we speak uh, with another big oppor AI opportunity. Uh, so folks should, uh, should check your, your next tech trade. Yeah. I'll just say it's kind of, it's kind of sitting in plain sight. If you okay. just 
All right. Well, let's leave it. I think the bottom line is there are lots of ways to play this. Um, Some of them are more logical than others. Some of them are way more volatile than others. We've seen that this week with crazy C3 AI, um, which uh, was up 33% on Monday and then down. uh, I forget how much yesterday and is down again today after they reported earnings and is still up like triple for the year to date. It's a crazy, crazy story. And so there's still a lot, which I think the, the biggest takeaway from that is there's just a lot of speculation going on here. We see this with Palantir and some other smaller players. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's still pretty. Uh, and, and that, by the way, to come back to your bubble question, is where I worry a little when you see that kind of, um, you know, kind of. I think really mostly um, uh, retail investors speculation. Yeah, uh, doing this. Uh, yeah. So. All right. So, um, Neil, actually, thanks, Neil, for your question, because Neil just, I think, as we were talking about NVIDIA and Intel had asked the question of um, how likely is is it NVIDIA will use uh, Intel to produce its chips. So I think we talked through that one. Well, I think, I think it's, I mean, if they, if Intel does what they say they're going to do, then I think it's pretty likely that they yeah. will make some chips. Okay. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. Um, all right, let's take a break from AI for a second. Um, David asks the question um, about, Apple's continued move into the payment spheres and how that maybe has muddied the waters for the prospects of companies like Square, PayPal. Um, he asks, is this worry overblown? Uh, is the Apple worry overblown? Um, and uh, what, what, you know, what to make of it? I think we actually wrote about this in Barron's recently, one of our colleagues did, but I think we both have thoughts on Apple's move into payments. Uh, so what, 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 do you, what do you think? Well, I think one of the interesting things that this shows is like Apple's been working on this for a long time. Like Apple Pay has been around for how long? Like, I don't even know, like 10 years more? Yeah, eight and, years. Eight and, years. And for, yeah. And for a long time, uh, like adoption was pretty modest. Like, yeah. like it was sort of the Apple fanboys who were like using Apple Pay uh, more than the average person. And yet um, that's kind of changed. I mean, you know, I was talking to, uh, so I have a, a daughter who just graduated from college and we were talking about uh, and she was getting her first credit card okay and um and we she talked about how well i'm not going to carry it around i'm just going to use apple pay right like, she's apple pay for everything yeah and like so like she uses apple pay the way i would use like a you know like a, a atm card or and, it, and i have a i have a similar story it's funny enough that i have a 13 year old who he just opened a, a checking account for and the first thing that the uh the chase bank person said to her was, well, when you get the checking, when you get the, the debit card, just put it into your phone. So same thing, right? She's never going to carry a debit card. Um, yeah. So I, I think, and, you know, of course, what makes this, uh, the, so this is a long-term story, but I think what makes this current is some of the new things that they're doing, right? So they announced a savings account, uh, yeah. right? Uh, in combination with Goldman Sachs. So they're, you know, they're not, they're not doing the bank part. They're not a regulated bank. But they're offering like well, I don't know someplace north of four percent on this plan, and, and you have to buy, you have to do it through Apple Pay, and so you're using, um, using you know likely using an Apple device, and then so I, I think what what makes it so smart and kind of potentially threatening for some of these other players is, um, you know, the iPhone continues to dominate the market. Like the growth rate is not so great, but if you think in terms of market share, particularly in the U.S., like they're they are a large large player. And they have very loyal customers. And so people want to do more things with Apple. I mean, I think Apple has made a big push on services generally. Absolutely. Um, 
it's one of the fast, probably the fastest growing part of the business right now. And, you know, tends to be consistently growing, even in quarters when like the iPhone's not doing much, or there's like production problems, or people are waiting for the new iPhone or whatever. Services revenue just keeps growing. By the way, one thing that's interesting about services revenue is Apple doesn't break out anything about like which ones are growing or which ones aren't. They, they tend to put, there's like always one sentence in their 10Q that says, uh, contributors to the growth in services are, and then they list three things. And yeah. that minor thing like sends analysts into a frenzy of like report writing because right. well, it keeps it keeps it keeps analysts you know busy. Yeah, yeah but I, so I, I do think it's a real risk. I mean, I think you have to like look you know kind of more granularly at which companies. Well, well let me yeah, I, let me just throw out one thing on on PayPal, Square, and Apple. I mean, if I I might be. Um, I'm probably very much in the camp that if I were PayPal and Square, I'd be very worried about this going forward. And I'll just throw out one example uh, to use a hardware example, which is if I'm PayPal, I would I would take a look at GoPro and see what happened to GoPro over the years. GoPro made a really good product, right? I mean, no one would argue that GoPro's cameras were and still are among the best ways to get action video, right? They're, they're still great. Um, the problem is that the iPhone is good enough and has only gotten better over the years. And so I think, you know, you, when you have companies that do one thing really well, Apple has shown how um, that that the iPhone is good enough at all these things and, and who wants to be doing, you know, carrying more than one device or using more than one service if your phone can do it all. And so I think in payments, I, I think you start to see something that's similar in payments um, where uh, where the iPhone just does the same thing to payments that it did to cameras. Um, right. Well, you take digital wallet, the, the Apple wallet, um, which is related. Um, yep. And, you know, for a long time, um, I think I didn't really use it for anything other than like downloading airline tickets. Right. right. But now, so, yeah. Making and, tons of things, including, you know, it's tied to Apple Pay. So, and the other, and the other problem for, for Apple's rivals or competitors is that Apple doesn't have to really make a ton of money on any of these one things. They just need you to stick with the Apple ecosystem, right? Right, so. right. So it's the, the stickier they can make the devices, the lower yeah. the churn, the more likely you are to, like, you know, if you're an Apple phone user and you, you're ready to replace your phone, um, not too many people are actually leaving Apple to go to to Android. It involves too much complexity in trying to manage your digital life. Could be yeah. about photos or music or, um, or uh, uh, you know, other services and, uh, and it's just easier to stay in the Apple uh, ecosystem. I mean, I'm sitting here, you know, uh, doing this on a MacBook Pro with a, my iPhone sitting here. I'm kind of exhibit A and I use Apple Music. Like Apple Music is actually a good example because I think most people, I mean, I don't really have a judgment here, but most people seem to think that, well, Spotify is a better experience. I, well, I don't I, know. I'm never going to change. I'm, I'm too one of those folks as well. And 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 I um, I always use Spotify, but now Apple Music is tied and paid for through my Apple broader Apple subscription. So that's, you know, I'm, I'm willing to make the change because I'm already paying for it anyway. Yeah. So, but I, yeah. So anyway, I think we're, <laughs> the answer to the original PayPal question is the, I think we're both a little bit bearish because of Apple. Um, you know, they're bullish arguments to make of why PayPal will, will still do well over, over, over time, but. Um, well, and yeah. And I think you have to work carefully about like exactly what PayPal is doing and yeah, some. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right. Okay. Them. Um, so let's see, we have uh, a few more minutes. Um, we can take, uh, a few more questions. Maybe though, first we should also, um, 
talk about because Apple next week, uh, June 5th, is a yeah. keynote at the Worldwide Developers Conference. Uh, so we're talking about Apple. This is a big moment for Apple because they're rumored to be launching their long-awaited mixed reality headset, goggles, whatever you want to call them. Um, big deal, little deal, no deal. What do you think? Well, I think it's, it's, I'm a little skeptical that this will have a big impact in the short run. So just based on the room, like Apple, let's be clear, Apple hasn't really said anything so far, but like there's been a lot of uh, leaks. And so we think that it's going to be like some kind of uh, virtual, uh, I think it's going to be more of a augmented reality or mixed reality kind of uh, uh, goggles, which is going to have an external power pack, which seems like not a great ex user experience. Not an Apple-like user experience. Not an Apple-like smooth, you know, super designed uh, experience. And it's going to cost $3,000. And so, like, it's really expensive for a consumer device. It's it's a little unclear on what people are going to use it for beyond gaming. And I think one of one of the things that's true, and like our, our colleague um, Connor Smith wrote a story about this recently, that if you look at the history of the of the the kinds of devices we're talking about, these headsets, or or you know we have to put on goggles or something to do things, this is really not good. I mean the, yeah, the this is, you know, right. And what's interesting about that, right? So the only real success or success story here is uh, is Meta with uh, uh, their Quest. Uh, headsets but after that there's not much and there's a lot of fails and you know microsoft has largely given up on this space yeah um you know there's a bunch of other examples like my, my favorite one of course is google glass uh which did not really go very well um, and, and and one of the things connor pointed out was the the revolution that the commentary that um that came with all of these prior uh, failed product launches. You know, people have just talked about how revolutionary uh, VR and AR is going to be, will be. We now have about a decade of history that suggests um, it hasn't yet been revolutionary. So I, I guess we'll we'll see if Apple can. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a good example. I just, I completely forgot about this, but uh, at the time that Google Glass launched, um, Kleiner Perkins was at the launch and actually announced a fund uh, to invest in companies that were going to take advantage of Google Glass. Wow. Yeah. I'm not sure what happened to that fund, but I expect not much. So yeah. Yeah. there were no plays. And another, I'll give my, my other favorite example here, which is 3D television. Uh, there was a point maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, when um, you would go to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas and everyone was showing off 3D televisions. And there were, there were actually cable channels broadcasting in 3D to take advantage of this. And turns out no one wanted to do that. I'll tell you one other kind of caution on things on their face as of now. Yeah, no, nobody wants to wear things on their face. I mean, I, I think the um, uh, uh, the other interesting, I think, cautionary note is people got really excited about virtual reality, um, well, augmented reality around the time of um, uh, Pokemon Go, which was like 2016 or 2017, kind of in that time period. Super yeah. popular. People were running around with their phones looking for these, you know, virtual uh you know pokemon, uh, pokemon. Yeah. Yeah. um that there's been no follow-up like that that was now seven years ago and there's been no other hot ar game like that so what what does that tell you um i i think you know look I, I there's a lot of there are a lot of interesting applications in uh for uh headsets in uh a certain kinds of industrial applications like some you know things like that and i think maybe in some learning applications um but i i think it's going to be interesting to you know 
to see if they can carve out a market here. They've been able to do that sometimes in the past. Well, that's that's the thing, right? I mean, I, I would just say if anyone is going to make this work at this point, this is through Apple might be VR and AR's last hope. If they can't do it, um, I think yeah. we can officially say, you know, probably this is not a uh, product that's going to ever really make it, at least not in the next 20 years. Uh, one thing I would note about Apple that it has going for it that maybe no one else has is these like hundreds of thousands of software developers that they've yeah. built up for the iPhone and the iPad, right? And right. maybe- With a lot of loyalty. There's right? a lot of loyalty and they might build these killer applications that will finally convince us to wear a headset. Yeah. Right? Now I'll tell you one other thing that makes me a little worried um, is um, if you think about other big product launches from Apple, let's talk about the iPhone, right? So, so when the iPhone launched, it was not the first smartphone. Like yeah, there right. were there were tens of millions of Blackberries and other smartphones kicking palm around. Palm Trio, yeah. Yeah, the Palm Trio. There were a lot of them. And like early on, in fact, if people forget, like when, the, when they launched the iPhone, they, they didn't launch the App Store at the same time. Like so, right, right. Um, so it was interesting. It was fun to have, but it, it wasn't quite the experience it is now. And, uh, but they were going into a relatively well-established market as a sort of like, uh, what's it called? Like a, you know, like they were a fast follower or something. Maybe I'd be mean a fast follower. Or yeah. the the iPod is actually another good example where there were a ton of MP3 players in the market when Absolutely. the time they came with the iPod. But it turned out they were harder to use and uh, it was harder to get music on the device and, and Apple just cleaned up. But there was already interest. I mean, we already knew about like things were a lot less convenient. Like, you know, the, the Walkman, like carrying around cassette tapes was like really popular, right? Yeah. So. So people like mobile music and they, they, so that was not something they have to prove. In this case, it's just not clear that there's an existing market. They're going in with a kind of what sounds like slightly awkward product at a really high price. I mean, maybe, you know, but, but again, the other thing to keep in mind, and let's go back to our, our discussion around Apple and, um, and financial applications. They're super patient. Um, so they may view this as an, like kind of a public beta almost. Yeah, I think that's right. And they're going to figure out what people like and what people don't like. The battery technology will probably get better. I mean, they, they have to figure out whether people are really going to be willing to walk around with this stuff. If it's a, yeah, no, I think it's going to be fascinating, fascinating to watch. Uh, okay. We have a yeah, the other thing I noticed by the way about, uh, about developers conferences, that is typically the place that the company announces um, app upgrades. I mean, I'm sorry, OS upgrades for yep. all the devices. Yep. And here's my other question about Apple, I think is unclear to me that I don't know why no one's really being addressing this is what is their AI strategy? Um, like they don't, they don't have a, like a, a chat GBT, but they have Siri, uh, but yeah. Siri looks like a infant compared to the existing <laughs> chatbots, right? I mean, I know it's, uh, a good, it's a really, really good point. Um, so is Siri going to get an upgrade and be, you know, like a chat app? I don't yeah. know. No, it's, it's, it's a, I have no idea. But I think it's interesting. You're right. That's a great question. And it hasn't gotten a lot of attention and probably should. All right. So we have a couple minutes. Um, can we do, let's do 60 seconds each on two last okay. questions. Um, right. Amira asks, um, and to get back to our AI focus, how can, how should longtime investors use ChatGPT? So any thoughts there? Okay. So first of all, if you're going to, oh, okay. So first of all, the, one of the problems with ChatGPT or the, like the base version of ChatGPT uh, that you can use is it's not, it doesn't, it's not trained through uh, the current moment. So the data, the training data ends like mid 2021. And so the problem is it's not a really a good place to be looking for investment information of any kind. So right. use Bing or Bard. That's the first one, first point. Okay. But okay. the other thing is like, if I would not, 
I do not think it would be wise, and we've experimented with us, uh, both of us have, uh, to just ask Bing, what would be 10 good stocks for the long term or something like that? Like the problem with that, it's not, it's not Bing or Bard generating those answers. They're just like cruising the web and they find a, an article, which I think in, in some of these cases you can get the original references. Um, I, I think you can use it as a useful tool to invest, tool for investigation, but, but I would not like go around buying stocks that Bing says are good to buy. I don't think that's a good strategy at all. Okay. All right. Good. Um, last question, uh, Steve says, and maybe this puts you on the spot a little bit, Eric, but do you think the NASDAQ will continue to march higher from here until year end? And he notes that it seems like a lot of the recent negative headlines um, haven't stopped its momentum. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting question. It is true that like tech has, as we mentioned in the beginning, that tech has dramatically outperformed the rest of the market. Um you know, I do think that, like, as you talk to to to, to CEOs, which I you know I do pretty regularly in the tech business, they're still a little worried about the macro environment. Right. They still think we might end up in a recession. Um, you know, timing TBD, and uh, you know, there and and valuations have gotten lofty again. Um, so I I think there's there's real risk. And then you know, like, let's say the Fed decides. They need to raise another couple of quarter points uh, and, and sound a little grim. So I think there's still risk. I mean, I, I wouldn't, uh, I still think, look, these companies are, uh, have become like, uh, they've become like, you know, flee, flee to safety kinds of place. Like they feel like they, and they are going to grow. And they, if you look at their businesses individually, they still have a lot going for them. Uh, you know, the Amazon, they're still dominating the cloud business or, you know, Meta is kind of a, uh, seems to be making some progress in, you know, addressing some of the big issues they had faced last year, which I've written about. Um, you know, Google seems really well placed in AI and still completely dominates insertion, still owns YouTube, and then just like has fantastic assets. So long term, I think they're all good bets for the most part. Um, but there's real risk that we could get some. You know, there's no nothing saying that. I mean, you get a bull market. Uh, uh, I don't know that we're really in a bull market, but you you can get these short. Uh, changes in, in stocks. I think there's a little bit of risk there. I would be. And the main takeaway is, uh, you know, maybe innovation is, is back. Innovation is doing okay, but you got to watch out for recession and macro risks. Yeah. You know, what will be a sign that, that the market is actually feeling a little better about things is when the IPO market comes back. I think that's a great point. And that, I mean, that's, it's a double-edged sword though, right? When the IPO market comes back, you also start to wonder that we're getting kind of toppy again. Um, if people are coming back. So it'll well, be here's, here's, I'll leave you with this final question, something we've talked about, which is um, uh, people cannot find enough AI plays. Yeah. There are like a dozen or more uh, AI focused unicorns, right? Which are, you know, companies with like more than a billion dollar valuation before an IPO. Yep. Um, is someone going to jump out and like make the connection and go, oh, uh, well, this might be this might be an area where we can actually have some successful IPOs. I, that has not happened yet, but it feels like it's just waiting to happen. I it's think it's a good. Uh, I think it's a good story for for us to be uh, looking at. Eric, we will so take a look. Alex. People should be on the lookout for that. One. All right, so that is actually all the time we have. We went a little over, but I think this was great. Um, Eric, thanks so much for being here. Glad to um, be. And we'll talk again soon. So please join us again tomorrow on Barron's Live when Bess Freeman, the CEO of real estate brokerage firm Brown Harris Stevens. We'll be talking to our colleagues at Mansion Global about the state of the New York City housing market and the once booming Hamptons and how national trends are affecting both of those markets.
Thanks for listening and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.